it made me really good at what I did because part of my natural state of being is I'm very caring and I have a lot of empathy and so it made me really good at finance. And then the extra layer of what my definition of success was meant that I really showed up (laughs) and I showed up until 11 o'clock at night 12 o'clock at night, 1am in the morning, 2am in the morning. That wasn't uncommon for me to work crazy hours like that. And what that meant was, of course, my health got eroded over time. And there was a couple of big events that happened like the GFC. That was a really challenging time and some other big events. And with each big event, it just, it kind of jolted me into, I guess, this state of adrenal fatigue and the beginnings of burnout. And then one day I just couldn't get out of bed. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, I'm totally inspired and thrilled to bring to you a beautiful soul, Linda Ireland, who championed the business world until it took its toll. She has built and sold many businesses over the years, and since retiring early, she continues to work part-time in her natural hair care company called Bod Food. Although impressive to read, Linda is quick to point out that her business success was far from smooth sailing. As you'll hear in the podcast, from starting so young, Linda learned the ropes of a very tough industry, made instinctively good decisions and impulsive bad ones. But long hours, burnout, chronic stress, pressure and unforeseen global events severely challenged her mental health, physical health, personal relationships and love for life. Linda approaches work projects in the same way that an artist might look at a canvas. Life and all of its experiences are a creative process. She attributes this attitude as the key to why she achieves so much success in her career. Linda has also explored many different creative projects, from owning a yoga studio to one of the largest financial brokerages in Australia, selling one of their businesses to a listed company, to running a marathon with no prior practice. Today, Linda dedicates her life, particularly in her working world, not only to bod food, but also to sharing what she has learned in both businesses and quantum universes through her Conscious Initiatives workshops. She pays forward the tools she gained through sharing stories, methods, philosophies, and principles with anyone who wants to benefit from them. And I can assure you, you are going to benefit hugely from today's interview. Please make sure you follow the beautiful Linda on all the socials, which will be in the show notes, but also leave any messages, comments, and feedback on my Instagram page, Kim Morrison 28, Facebook, Kim Morrison Training, or thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Special thanks and mention to 28.com, the word 20, the number 8.com for sponsoring this show and allowing me to bring you such amazing humans like the gorgeous Linda to your inbox every single week. Take care, be kind and enjoy today's show. You all know that my favorite pastime of all is to interview very special souls friends, amazing women and men who are showing up in life like no other. And it is absolutely my delight and pleasure this week to interview the gorgeous Linda Island. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, gorgeous. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a treat and an honor. And we just mentioned off the air how we ran into each other at the market. So you are a local girl here on the sunny coast. But maybe for anyone that does not know too much about you, could you just give us a little brief background, your story, how you came to being you, what happened along the way, and maybe what led you into doing what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. That that's a it's a very long story. <laughs> Should I do an executive summary? Um, So I grew up in Bathurst, so um, country town, but lived in suburbia, so I didn't grow up on a farm or anything. But, um, yeah, I had a wonderful upbringing in Bathurst, loved loved living there. And then in my early 20s there was something just 
that happened in inside of me a couple of events big one particular big life event that happened and um the world just looked a little different and so i decided to pack up my life in my car and drove up to the sunshine coast and i arrived on malulabar beach i didn't know a soul didn't have a job um didn't have a permanent place to stay i was staying at sailport the resort malulabar and um yeah, I arrived on Malabar Beach and, and it just felt like home. So that's how I ended up on the Sunshine Coast, but grew up in Bathurst. So I've been here nearly 20 years now and I was 20 years in Bathurst. So can I be a local to both places? I don't know. <laughs> so that's um, that's how I arrived on the Sunshine Coast. But uh, prior to that, I did all my schooling in Bathurst and completed my degree at Charles Sturt University in Bathurst. And upon leaving university I still felt like I didn't know what I wanted to be what I wanted to do I was really curious about the world Um, at the time I was studying yoga and teaching yoga at the very basic level I hadn't I'd completed my basic yoga studies but not my 200 hour yoga studies so I I was feeling pulled to that that part of I guess um, life but also conscious that I needed to have a career. And in my mind, they were separate things. Now that I'm older and wiser, I know better. (laughs) But back then I thought, well, yoga was just playing and I needed to have a serious career. So um, long story short, I met my now husband and we started a finance brokerage. But the same week we opened that, we opened a yoga studio three doors down and, um, the finance brokerage took off and and got to dizzy heights. And after a year, I sold the the yoga practice because I was going out in my lunch breaks and going out of an evening and teaching, and then coming back to work and working till two a.m. and and something had to give. So I um, yeah, we sold the the yoga studio. So a little part of me was really sad about that and. I tried to bring it into the finance brokerage as much as I, I could. So <laughs> my team that used to work for me, they, they were, um, you know, we would meditate, do the occasional yoga, <laughs> not the typical things that you see in a mortgage brokerage, but that we, you know, we were a little different. And, um, yeah, and then we sold that business about four, four or five years ago now and um, had some time off. And now I've returned to my yoga studies, which I have loved. Um, Probably in the next few weeks I'll get my certificate for my level one yoga teacher, which I'm very excited about and proud about. And, yeah, that's, that's probably where I'm at at the moment. And I've had a few years off. It's almost felt like a revisiting that feeling that I had in my early 20s of, well, who am I? Where do I belong in the world? So I took some time off to really work with that and not force anything, and that's led me to where I am today. I started two startups at the end of last year, and um, and that's where I'm spending my energy now. It's quite remarkable when we look back on our life journey and see where we've come and what we've imagined life to be and what reality actually occurs. Your degree, was that in the finance world? It was a business degree with a major in marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Which has been, I guess, you know, an incredible uh, support in all ventures that you've done. So never wasted by all means. But I'm just curious then, when you were trying to dissociate or separate the two businesses, the yoga and the financial services, did a part of you, I just heard it in your voice, did a little part of you, I don't know if the word is die, but did a little part of you feel incredibly sad about letting that go? And how easy or hard was that for you? Yeah, it's funny you say that the little part of me died because I was about to say that and I caught myself <laughs> um, when I was telling that story. But, yeah, I did feel like it was more of a feeling of I had to bury and hide that part of myself. Um, you know, that's, like I said, now that I'm older and wiser, I know that that's not true. But back then when I was young and it was just, it's amazing how you can listen to one comment or or read something or interpret something and it can take you off on this wild tangent. So I remember when I was doing my studies for my yoga teacher training, 
And one of my teachers said to me um, how the other teachers had been talking about how odd it is to have one interest in finance and money and an interest in yoga and how they didn't seem aligned. And that was enough for me to feel really shut down. And of course it was an innocent comment. It wasn't me meant to, um, you know, cause harm or shut me down, but it certainly did trigger something in me that, that thought, wow, yeah, that's true. Of course I can't be both. And up until that moment, um, I was naive and sometimes I think naivety is great because I, I am naive. <laughs> I'm known for that amongst my circles and walking around with my rose-coloured glasses on. And up until that point, I, you know, I, I just didn't occur to me that I couldn't be both things. I couldn't have an interest in, in finance and property and also be a yoga teacher. So, but in that moment I made a decision, oh, yeah, okay, I have to be a serious businesswoman or I have to be a yoga teacher which path am I going to take and the energy was clearly taking off in my finance career it was really you know it was going really well so I just followed that and yeah I would say the best interpretation of it is I abandoned that part of myself and I hid it unless I was with people that I was really comfortable with because I was trying to show an image, I guess, in your early 20s, you know. It's I was trying to show up as a professional finance woman. Yes, <laughs> and, and I really appreciate that. But I love how in this day and age we're invited, almost demanded to be ourselves, our, our own selves, be our authentic selves. That word gets bandied around a lot, but this really is what authenticity is. We can be all parts to all things. Would you say then there's a general, um, I won't, it's certainly not a truth, but a general belief that, you know, yoga and money do not mix, therefore yoga people can't be wealthy or wealthy people maybe can do yoga, but they couldn't run it as a business. Is that a misdemeanor or is that something that's still quite powerful in this day and age? I felt like 20 years ago, yes, that was definitely the sense that I got and moving in in those circles, it was probably to taboo to um, pursue, let's say, wealth or have an interest in finance or property, whereas now I do think that's changed a lot. I don't think it's as prevalent, but um, I think there's still an element of it and that's why I, I run a course now that's called Conscious Wealth because you can have the two because what even is wealth? That's the first question I ask in my workshops. What is wealth? Wealth is not necessarily money, although we all tend to go there just by default, but usually when I ask people what is wealth, the answers are something like oh, waking up in the morning and having a choice of what I want to do or I want to provide X, Y, and Z for my children, or I want to pursue this dream. Um, and so I think when we look at it in that context about what wealth truly is and take the money element away, it's less prickly, I think, for people. I find it fascinating that we do think that money is a bit of a taboo subject. It's, it's a judgment that we all tend to, uh, you know, naturally do. If someone's driving a certain car, we have a judgment around it. Then there's a thing called discerning wealth. Then there's, you know, ostentatiousness. Then there's like money seems to be the one thing that we all can gauge people's, I guess, level of success or desire or whatever. But with you having both sides of the brain, that left analytical ability to actually really look at money, investments and wealth development, plus also have that more spiritual, creative, intuitive aspect of you, how would you say it's possible for us to integrate the two with such beauty and harmony and love and awareness? Is it possible? Absolutely, yeah. And I guess with my naivety, this is how I've approached approached it my whole life because I haven't had those layers. You know, we've all got areas in our life where we've got those layers we've got to pull back. For whatever reason in this area of my life, I didn't have that baggage around it. So for me, it's always been a creative pursuit. So I think 
if you can strip back the the layers of of the ideas around wealth or money and get to the core of what you want to do as a creative being then everything else just flows with that so i think when we're in alignment with what we're we're going for or sh- or how we're showing up in life then those things just tend to follow so i guess I'm probably not answering that as well as I'd like. A question I like to ask is what's your definition of success? And then when people answer that, it's really interesting because some people might say it's this car, it's this house, it's these things. But then you say, well, what would that provide you? And when they answer that question, sometimes they have to pause and go, oh, what would that? provide me and then when I ask well then what do you really want then usually there's a shift and all of a sudden people realize oh, I'm not actually going for those things I'm going for something different so I think whatever someone's definition of success is is the place to start and then once you know that and if it's tr- it's really true if it's not just a a thing that's become I guess um, if it's not just society's definition of what success is, it's a true definition of success, and then you go for that thing, I think it, all of that stuff just falls away and becomes irrelevant. Agreed. I think what's so powerful about someone like you is you have the ability for us to look at money as an entity, an energy, a beautiful vehicle, a pathway, a tool, not the be all and end all. And I think that's probably one of the greatest gifts that you give to people is the power to understand money's um, ability to give us life choices and um, a future without pressure or without having to rely on governmental support. But I also love the fact that you really are an advocate for health. So we've now talked about success and wealth and the definition of what that could be to you. But obviously being in yoga and being and creating these beautiful uh, conscious initiatives and workshops that you're running, there is a real element of expectation that health has to have a high priority as well. Could you talk to us a little bit about why that's so important to you? And have you seen people who have just built wealth and lost their health along the way? Yeah, such a good question. So health is my number one thing now. It's everything else comes second to that. So my daily walks on the beach, my yoga, my meditation, the day doesn't start until those things have happened. And of course, being present to my my beautiful little daughter. Those things are everything to me. And then once I've done those, I can have the rest of my day. (laughs) So if we come back to the definition of success, you know, there's that, what's that saying Um, about um, um, attaining wealth and you squander your wealth and then you squander your wealth to regain your health. That's not exactly it, but it's something like that. So, so that was me. So in my younger years, when I look at my definition of success, it was coming from a place of that. I like to call it my little four-year-old Linda, (laughs) The, the one that's going, am I good enough yet? Am I good enough yet? Am I good enough yet? And looking for that recognition and, and, I just wanted to belong in the world. I just wanted to, because I didn't feel like I belonged and because I probably felt like a bit of a misfit as um, a teenager, as a young adult, I, something in me was really driven to be successful because that was my definition of success of how I could feel like I belonged in the world because it's like, oh, if I do really well at that, then maybe I'll be accepted. And so I'm really conscious that that's how I showed up in my business. And um, it made me really good at what I did because part of my natural state of being is I'm very caring and I have a lot of empathy. And so it made me really good at finance. And then the extra layer of what my definition of success was meant that I really showed up. (laughs) And I showed up until 11 o'clock at night 12 o'clock at night, 1 a.m. in the morning, 2 a.m. in the morning. That wasn't uncommon for me to work crazy hours like that. And what that meant was, of course, my health got eroded over time. And there was a couple of big events that happened, like the GFC. That was a really challenging time and some other big events. And 
with each big event, it just, it kind of jolted me into, I guess, this state of adrenal fatigue and the beginnings of burnout. And then one day I just couldn't get out of bed and I had full-blown chronic fatigue, autoimmune, various other things. And I was really conscious of the metaphysical aspects of it. So I had awareness around working on that and also trying to deal with the physical aspects and being a a mum to a two-year-old as well and and a lot of expectation of wanting to be present to her and be a great mum. It was a really um, challenging and confronting time for me. So that definition of success is such an important one to get clear on because we go on autopilot doing things that we think we need to do in order to, whether it is to fit in or whatever the story is that that we, we have, that little part of ourselves, that young child that exists within each of us that's trying to be accepted or whatever the story is. Um, I had to confront all that and, and become really present to it and that meant making some really big decisions. So I remember I I was seeing a naturopath as well as a functional doctor, a holistic doctor, and he said to me, how serious are you about getting better? And I said, I'll do anything. Um, And he said, he lent in and really sincerely said to me, would you consider selling your business? And I went home to my husband and we had a chat and it was on the cards anyway, but we made a really firm decision that that day that we would do that. And so that was the beginning of the journey for me of healing. And, but what I didn't realize would happen, I thought I was just going to go on this physical journey of healing, right? (laughs) And that the metaphysical stuff I thought was all tied up in that what was my definition of success and literally just burning myself out, trying to fit in and be good enough to be accepted. But in reality, the layers that existed beneath that were just so much deeper. And it's taken me four years of self-discovery to finally grow up. (laughs) And (laughs) there's something about turning 40, I swear. I think it starts at 38. You just get like, it's like whiplash if you're not doing the work. It's like, all right, we're just going to throw you in the deep end and this is going to happen. But what I discovered was just so much deeper than what I thought it was all about. And um, I had all these interesting layers to explore. Like I was 22 when we started the business. I was a baby. My frontal cortex wasn't even developed. And so my identity was that business because, remember, I abandoned that part of myself that I felt really pulled to. Right. And so I didn't even know who I was, what I liked to do, um, what my authentic self was, because I was just showing up in service every day at work that I hadn't even spent time with myself. And I can tell you how uncomfortable I was spending time with myself because I just hadn't like, it was like, I had to date myself to really get to know who I am, what I like, what my interests are. So it's been a journey and I'm happy to say that I'm so healthy right now and um, I I went into remission with my Hashimoto's a few years ago, so that's good and my chronic fatigue, you know, is well and truly passed. Occasionally I might have a flare-up, but I think that's my body just saying, you're getting a little bit busy. <laughs> so I appreciate that. And I don't read into anything up more than that's what that is. And um, yeah, it's, it's been, a, it was challenging, but I can see the beauty in all of it. It's a fascinating journey as well. Not only is it a physical healing, but often the body breaks down because it's, we're not listening to the signs. We're not listening to the whispers. So eventually it has to almost whack us into stopping But I do find Hashimoto's, um, anything to do with the thyroid, uh, chronic fatigue, autoimmune, all of these things seem to be a real um, outcome of burnout and pushing ourselves. Is it something, would you call that a corporate disease? Is it something that happens so much in the corporate world that you've seen? Or is it that we just become so good at hiding these things, we just keep going? But at some point the body stops, right? Yeah, I do. It's really prevalent in corporate 
I've yeah, since since having it and speaking to others and sharing my story, I've realized how how many people are experiencing the same thing. And I mean, this is a really simplified version of what I think is going on, but by no means am I an expert. But <laughs> I think it it at the very simplest level, it's what you said. It's ignoring the signs and the adrenals are, you know, the body's like always in this stress mode. It's chronic stress. And our bodies aren't necessarily built like that. We're built to, you know, um, run away when we're in danger and it's a short burst of stress. And then we have this downtime to recuperate. But when with the how the world is and how we show up as individuals, especially in corporate, it's like this expectation to work really hard and continuously show up and there's lots of pressure and your adrenals just get fried and then there's a flow-on effect. Um, and there was so many signs for me. I was working with a, a therapist for years with my adrenals. I, I knew I knew there was a problem there and I was I was getting treatment for it, but I wasn't doing the main things that I needed to do to heal it. I wouldn't compromise the hours, the commitment, the, you know, doing things to release the stress, I guess. What was the most frightening part of that, the realisation that you really had hit in, for want of better words, rock bottom? Um, you know, probably two things. I remember just being on the side of the road one day just thinking, I can remember exactly where I was standing and just thinking, gosh, like just feeling deep depression, you know, that depth of deep, deep depression and and feeling like I need help. Um, So that was a real moment for me, a turning point. And actually the day that I started having those thoughts, I got a random phone call actually from my husband's best friend who, you know, wasn't seeing a lot, but he rang and he said, are you okay? And I said, actually, I'm not okay. And then he rang his brother who was one of my long-term friends and he got on the phone and said, hey, I've just spoken to Pete and he said, you're not okay, like let's talk. And we had this big chat and that was a real turning point for me. So like having someone reach out, you know, everyone says, ask people, are they okay? It's, I, I've had that experience and it was really, really powerful um, because I was doing a really good job of still, oh, everything's fine. <laughs> you know, those closest to me probably, you know, I was probably doing a good enough job to hide enough of it. I, I knew I wasn't well, but. I don't think I let on how, you know, how bad it was. But, um, yeah, Matt's friend Pete, he must have just had a, an intuitive hit to call me and, um, and that was a turning point. The other turning point for me was um, Grace was only two and she was having day naps and my whole life was built around napping with her. So I was sleeping the same time she was sleeping with the chronic fatigue. And then sometimes when she wouldn't have a sleep, I'd have to like say to her, okay, set her up with an activity, but I would hold on to her and fall asleep. And because then it would wake me up if she would move. And um, so, you know, I also got from an amazing lady who came to the house and helped through that, that time as well. So yeah, those two things were quite jarring, those two moments. I can imagine. If you could now look at your beautiful little Gracie and knowing she's at that age where we want to be noticed and accepted and look at me, mum, look at me, and getting that praise and that approval, Mm. what would be your greatest advice to her or what was your wish for her growing up? Yeah, well, we had a lot of conversations (laughs) because um, she's my little muse. (laughs) We, We have a lot of conversations and around this type of thing because you see yourself in your children. So already I'm like, oh, oh no, oh, that's me. <laughs> and I'll see Matt in her as well and like, oh, and we giggle about it. And look, she's got to have her own experiences and she's got to do the work at some stage, you know, 
I just know there's no way I'm I'm doing perfect parenting. It's just impossible. <laughs> We're all creating issues for our children that we don't realize or we do realize. And, and, you know, anyway, it's just how it is. But look, I had a lot of conversations with Grace just so she's, she's has her own anxiety about going to school because she's quite introverted and she finds it overwhelming. And, um, and, she was really worried about going to school yesterday and I said to her, you know, your brain doesn't know the difference between um, what it's experiencing and what it's thinking. It's having a physical reaction, the same physical reaction. And I said, so you're feeling sad right now in anticipation about going to school and so you, you're actually living that experience that you're worried about right now instead of just enjoying this moment with me. We're having brekkie together and you're losing that moment worrying. And I said, there's no point worrying about things until they happen. You know, if you get to school and you have a bad day, then you can feel that wave of sadness while you're there in the moment. And that's healthy and that's okay. And that's normal, but you don't need to bring it into this moment right now where it doesn't actually exist. And I, at nine, you know, she gets that. And all of a sudden she's like, oh yeah. And I noticed her catching herself this morning just off the back of that conversation. So we have lots of conversations like that because she's a little worrier. Um, and, yeah, I, that's that's probably the best advice that I've given her recently and I'm sure I've given her lots of bad advice too. <laughs> they can spend thousands getting their therapy later in life. That's, that's right. okay. That's okay. I, we, we'll take that. We'll take that one. And that's the journey, right? We can't we can't do it perfectly. We know they're going to go on their own journey and have to fix stuff that we're, you know, maybe that's what I've told her then. She'll have to get therapy for that later and someone will say, oh, that's really bad advice. <laughs> Your mum shouldn't have said that. You've mentioned a couple of times about being present and being fully in the moment to really experience life. But worrying is, and I don't know if I'm right here, but depression seems to be based on our past, looking back and what's made us sad and worrying is almost based on our future. What's worrying us about what could happen or might happen. Mm -hmm. So neither serve us because it means we're never present because we're looking back or we're looking too far forward. Worry is a massive thing. And it's almost like people wear it with pride that they're anxious or worried, or they become helicopter parents, or they worry about the bills, or they worry about their mother or their father, or they like, why is it almost seen as a badge of honor these days? Yeah, gosh, I'm not sure. It's, um, yeah, I don't know the answer to that because I really try to practice being present for that exact reason. I do see depression as um, worrying about the past and I've certainly experienced that time in my life where I felt felt depressed. And then I wouldn't say I've ever had anxiety though, and that is worrying about the future, like you said. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it becomes, well, it's just like anything, it's consciousness the more people talk about something and that becomes the norm then we just go on default um saying saying those things like I, one of our recent workshops one of the participants shared that um when people ask her oh have you been busy and everyone says oh yeah yeah i'm always busy but actually <laughs> are, are we busy and is that a healthy thing to be affirming <laughs> and should we, we should we be working at being less busy so I think sometimes it's like that collective consciousness of that's just the norm of how we show up and what we say and we're on on default but I think there's two layers to it a is it true is it ours because that busy one you know a lot of people just say it and they might not be busy are genuinely busy and saying it is that serving you and that's being present to what you're saying isn't it and then being present to to um how you're living you make a really good point what we think and what we say uh cannot always or may not always be reality and then our reality may not always be what we think and say and it's the consciousness. I'd like to know more about these events that you're running. Is that the whole aim of them is to bring more of a consciousness, a present moment? And if so, could you explain a little bit more about them to us? 
Yeah, sure. So the conscious initiative is is exactly that, exactly this this topic that we're talking about. It's about being conscious and living from a conscious space in all aspects of your life. And that is getting out of the past, getting out of the future and just being conscious to what's relevant right now. And from that, because a lot of people have asked me in the past, well, what did you do differently to be successful in business? That's like a really common one that I get. And it was just being present. Like I I didn't have huge lofty goals um, other than, you know, that, that, pattern that I was running. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? (laughs) But actually when I showed up at work every day, it was just about showing up, being present to whoever was coming in to have an appointment with me for the day, being present to what needed to be done on the day. Um, So whilst goals I think are important in terms of just having clarity about where you're going, just being focused on what you're doing in the moment and in any given day is more powerful than anything in my opinion. And I would say that's one of the biggest things um, that has contributed to anything that I've done that's been successful. And so these, and, and also when you're doing that, when you're being present and you're showing up in that way, I think you're connected to that consciousness part of yourself. So everyone has a different label for it, whether it's your higher self, your soul, the universe, God, whatever label, um, I see them as all all the same. I don't like to label it, but I just like to call it consciousness. So when you're showing up in that space in between where you're being present, then things just flow. It's kind of like getting in the jet stream because everything else outside of you doesn't really exist in that moment. And so that's what the workshops are about. So Um, It's about learning meditation techniques and also structural tools that you can use in your life to bring that presence to anything that you're doing. As an example, every morning I wake up, I meditate, and then I go through a structural process that gives me the action items for that day to live um, in purpose and in my true nature. Can you give us an example of what you do then after you've meditated? What else comes into play? This could be really good for the busy person listening to this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I'll I'll usually, so I have a set of um, what we call choices. It's like um, a set of choices of things that are important in life. So for me, health's big, living in my true nature and purpose, um, various other things. And I'll, every day I'll, focus on one or two of those statements and I'll say, what's the next obvious action that I need to take today? Let's just say it's I'm choosing the end result of living in my true nature and purpose. That's one of Robert Fritz's fundamental choices of how to live, you know, a meaningful life. And so when I meditate on that and get present to that, the next obvious action for me to take to live in my true nature and purpose will come through. And then I just do that. And so what happens is that my days get occupied, my health comes first, and then I'll do my tasks of the actions that I get from my meditation. And I know that anything else around else around that is like a nice to have or, or a nice to do, but I've done the most important stuff to stay in that connected place and on purpose and in my true nature. So the first thing to do then for a person is to to get really real and clear on what those, I would call them values, what you're saying, what's really important to them. So let's, could you give us some more examples then of some high level values for people, perhaps from your workshops? What are some of the things that really matter just so that we can support the listener? And then if it is important, you know, it's usually the top three to five that get most of our time and energy. So how could you help someone to find out what's those top five most important things to them? Yeah, well, probably going back to what we were talking about before, looking at what their definition of success is and stripping that right back and then looking at what is it that they're going for in life. And that will usually uncover those things that are important. So for me, what's important is living in my true nature and purpose, my health, 
I'm a very creative person, a little bit entrepreneurial. So for me, um, I tried to not work and, and it, was really, <laughs> it was sad. So for me, being creative and showing up and being creative is really important um and community so for me my choice has come for that but so for someone else it might be they might be chasing let's say financial freedom or they might be chasing um chasing is not the right word they might be feeling pulled towards getting their finances in order um, if they're feeling financial pressure because we all know that that financial stress is one of the worst kind and it's common so that's that's a common value that people want they want to create some um, independency around their finances um i think everyone should have health <laughs> um that's just because it's important to me um spiritual as well i mean there's so many there's relationships so if someone's seeking a beautiful relationship that's going to become really important to them um, or a career as well if they're feeling like they're not in the right career so i think once people can really get clear on what's relevant to them right now and it changes in different in different stages of our life so if someone can get really clear on what their values are and what's pulling them in this moment in this time in their life and then you work through those so every morning you get into a meditative state and you go through the process and you get really present to that statement and then you wait for that next obvious action to take um, and some of the stories are amazing. I mean, you know, that people have been guided to look in a certain spot for a certain thing and they've found it or go to a certain place and they've met their next partner and it's a loving, beautiful relationship. Um, you know, this work is really powerful because I believe when you're sitting in a meditative state, you are connecting to that part of you that just wants the best for you, that just wants you to live that life that's meaningful and true and expansive. I think, too, you're talking a lot about the unconscious mind, what really drives our behaviours, our beliefs, our thoughts, our actions, our decisions. Most people think it's our conscious mind. You know, you think what you need to do next. But I think what you're inviting us to do is to go into that meditative state, which actually opens up the doors and the beautiful view of our unconscious mind. And when you trust those thoughts, those words, those, those things that come through, and you can even intentionally ask for messages from your unconscious mind. Because in my experience, most people aren't listening to it or even asking it. They think that what they're doing is exactly what's needed or that the world is doing things to them rather than us being the co-creator of what's going on in our world. So do you think things like yoga, breathwork, meditation, is it those more still things that bring us into that intuitive part? And is there anything else that you'd recommend? Yeah, all of those things. So the more time that we spend being present to that part of ourself, uh, and I, I describe it, it's like a whisper. So it's it's finding that stillness so that you can hear the whispers because when you're busy, then your conscious mind is front and centre and running its pattern or its beliefs. Again, there's so many names for it. But, um, yeah, it is finding that stillness and it doesn't need to be sitting in lotus position or doing yoga if you like. Those things do not light me up. <laughs> um, it can be going for a run. It can be going for a walk. It can be playing, like going out and playing with your children or your animals or getting in nature or, you know, if I think of my brother, it's riding um, motorbikes. That's when he gets in his absolute state of flow. Um, so it, it doesn't have to be, I think there's the, all these concepts of to get that connection to ourself, we have to be this Zen monk and, and I don't believe that. So I'm, I've met incredible people who live in the jet stream who are complete adrenaline, well, you would view them as being adrenaline junkies. <laughs> Um, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie myself, but actually they're just, they're present so often that they're connected. And so, yeah, I think the more things that you can do to be connected and present, the more you'll hear the whispers, those little whispers that give you the guidance, because otherwise, yes, you're operating out of that, con well, the conscious mind is narrow, you know, you, you, 
our brains receive 400 billion bits of information every second, but our conscious minds narrow in on 2,000 bits of it. And so we're usually on autopilot, like our, our brain's a big machine. It likes to be efficient. It uses a lot of energy, so it takes shortcuts where it can. And so the brain, if it's operating from the conscious mind, is always going to go to those default 2,000 bits of information that it expects to see in the world. And imagine all the things that you're missing out on in the scope of, of the rest of that, that opportunity. But what happens when you get present or you get connected to your consciousness is you're accessing all of a sudden all of that information and getting present to the things that are going to impact your life in the most meaningful way. So instead of choosing by default those 2,000 bits of information that you've always chosen, all of a sudden you're consciously taking action towards something different. And just a 1% change in your path can take you in a completely different um, place. It's so beautiful and such a great reminder. I know many of us probably know this stuff unconsciously, but it's the conscious mind, the busyness of life, the overwhelm, the drive, and all of the other pressures that we label that seem to, I guess, take over that beautiful unconscious stillness within us. I want to just fast track to you now then. Let's talk about this new venture. You've talked about the conscious initiatives, the workshops, but you also then obviously was pulled back into the entrepreneurial world. Tell us about your other business. Yeah, so when I tried to do nothing <laughs> and was feeling, you know, a bit sad and, and lost, it became really obvious to me that there was two things that I wanted to do throughout the rest of my working life. Um, one was to have a creative project. So I always need a creative project where I feel like I'm creating things. It's like I see business like a big canvas and I'm showing up every day to paint and that's just really fun for me. And um, the other thing was I wanted to contribute and give back. So because I would receive a lot of emails and calls from people saying, you know, how did you do this or can you help me? I thought I really needed to put together something where people could come and I could share what I had learned. So, you know, the saying, you um, once you learn it, you share it. And um so they're the two prongs. The conscious initiative is like giving back to community and sharing what I've learned. And Bod Food, which is my creative turn up to the canvas every day business, is a natural hair care company. And it has been so fun. Um, and it's been born from a loving string of moments. I've only showed up in it when I felt really inspired and when the juice is there, so sometimes that's meant I haven't worked in the business for three months because the juice hasn't been there. <laughs> um, and other times, you know, I've shown consistently up um, for prolonged periods of time. So, yeah, Bod Food's been been really fun and it's now starting to take off. So I've just um, brought on my first team member, Heather, and, um, yeah, it's exciting. So one thing that I'm hearing is that I guess, and this isn't saying you're lucky by any stretch of the imagination, but your skills and your knowing in the financial world has given you a base for some to allow you not to have to work in a business for three months. But the person that's really put all their eggs in one basket, they're really desperately trying to grow. There is, it's a bit tough, isn't it? Like you've got to not burn yourself out, but you can't take your foot off the pedal either. So yeah. is there any quick tips that looking back on your time when you did burn yourself out, when you were growing and becoming the financial guru that you are prior to having yourself at a position of financial stability where you could create with a more even flow, is there any tips or advice you would give yourself back then to save the burnout? But perhaps for the person listening to this, who's actually still in the grind of it, still trying to rise and get through to that financial stability, is there anything you'd give to us in that time or wish that you could have known back then? Yeah, I definitely. A couple of things. So I think using those tools that I just shared before, showing up in getting connected to that, that part of you. So if it's going for a bike ride, mountain biking, yoga, whatever it is, getting present daily 
to that consciousness part of yourself so you can get the clear next action to take, um, then I would definitely do that because it'll keep you on course and accelerating in a more meaningful way towards whatever that is in your highest good. Uh, but I would also seek help from coaches who have been successful in your industry because they've made all the mistakes and they've burnt through the money. <laughs> and so I'm all about, you know, reaching out to, I have so many coaches when I do, when I approach something that I have no idea about, like, I don't want to go through all the pain and I get a coach that knows what they're doing to give me some advice. So definitely. And, you know, there's some really affordable ways to do that these days. Like founder have amazing online courses, um, there's lots like council has fully funded programs that are worth $10,000 that people can show up to and do for six months. So there's all these great resources that don't even need to cost you money or they can cost very little to get the advice to do the right things. And would certainly look for someone that's done it in your industry so that you're not casting this broad net of things that you should do and you're really honing in on the, the things that are meaningful to accelerate whatever it is you're going for. And, and, but do stay connected to, to that consciousness part of yourself, because I will say in all the businesses that I've had, I've definitely done things differently, not, not the standard way. And a lot of the times that's been our, our best accelerator. So don't be afraid to be a disruptor, even if it makes you feel like a bit of a loner. <laughs> I know, but I think the disruptor or going against the grain or another way of saying it, staying in your lane, doing yeah. what you do best, being you, there is no one else that does it like you. Even if there's 100 million beauty therapy clinics out there, no yeah. one's going to do it the way you do it. Yeah. And I love your advice in business. Show up, be fully present. I know one of my coaches called it get into the evolved state every time. And I've actually taken that into all areas of my life. When I'm yeah. present to do a podcast, when I'm present being interviewed, when I'm present, even when my electrician is here, just being fully engaged and present and showing up in that space yeah. gives you such, um, well, it kind of ignites me. It really inspires me too, being around people and fully present. But yeah. I also love the fact that we can be different. We can be a disruptor, but you don't have to do it hard. And those parts that you're talking about, not only do counsel and obviously places like Founder give us these things, there's lots of amazing mindset programs too, where you can pick what you pay. And this is probably why I created like you with your conscious initiatives I did the self-love and wellness mentorship program because I know not everybody can afford coaching or go down that route but what about every week showing up for yourself what about if every week you committed one hour a week to grow expand consciously become present and aware and learn from others like that really is why you and I do what we do for people because we love that connected consciousness I also believe in the ripple effect. When you're around positive people, it has a ripple effect that goes beyond. Have you had anyone ever come up to you or say to you, um, oh my gosh, Linda, it was because of you, I've done this, or it's thanks to you, we've created this. Have you had some beautiful feedback in your careers, either all or, or of all of them? I have, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I have. And it's really heartwarming because um, like anyone, you know, I've, I have self-doubt at times and and I think, gosh, am I even making a difference when I show up and, and run a workshop or I do this or that? And I've had people who have attended financial workshops that I've run, you know, 15, nearly 20 years ago, and they've said things like that and, oh, because of you I bought those properties and now this, they're worth this because we all know how property's gone recently. And, and they, um, this is just one recently where they said, uh, we just went in thinking we were just buying a home and because we worked with you for 10 years we've got this property portfolio and, and now they've got financial freedom. And they said, if we had gone to the bank, that wouldn't have happened. And so stuff like that is really, is really nice. Um, so yeah, I have had that and, and I feel 
very humbled by it. But I also know there's so many people that have done that for me. So I think that's our job is when we learn stuff, we share it. It's just paying it forward, isn't it? And it's the ripple effect. And then that person is already talking to their children about getting into property early. So just flows on. But of course, it didn't start with me. It started with people that mentored me and people that inspired me and just keeps on flowing. Yeah. The more you give, the more you get in many ways. I noticed you said it's about investing in self. And I think if we take the time to invest in doing programs, courses, coaching, mentoring, anything at all like that, that fills our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls, then you can only take more and more from life, give more and more from it to life and actually expect more and more of your life. What do you think then, um, you know, to invest in oneself means you're actually valuing yourself enough. You care enough for yourself to think that it's worthwhile doing this course, this program, this mentoring. What is your definition then of self-love? If we can care for ourselves by investing in ourselves, that is a level of self-love. And if so, what's your definition? My definition of self-love personally is, is showing up and doing my meditation, doing my yoga, taking that time to to connect with that consciousness part of myself and take loving action um, towards whatever that is to be living in my true nature and purpose. But I'd also say, and I think this has come in my 40s, is to have deep, deep compassion for myself. Um, I was literally just talking to one of my best girlfriends before I jumped on the on the podcast and we were having a giggle because I'll often say things upside down, inside out, get all my sayings crossed over and we're laughing about how it's a kapha thing, you know, the Ayurvedic um, doshas. <laughs> and, um, and we were just having a giggle about it and it's like just even having deep compassion for myself that, well, this is just me. This is how I am. You know, this is the authentic me. So I think something that I've learned since going through that healing process and that reconnecting back with that really deep inner part of myself, that connected part of myself is authenticity. And I know it can be an overused word and bandied about a bit, but that's something that's really important to me um, and relative to self-care because I think whenever I'm showing up authentically, that's truly loving myself. So beautiful. I really appreciate it. And I think it's so heartwarming for all of us to really realize no matter where we're at in life, no matter what's happening in life, if we can connect back in and be present and hear the whispers Our unconscious mind already knows what it needs and wants. Our unconscious mind wants us to succeed, like you said. The unconscious part of us is up for us winning. And I think in this busy world and in this world that has changed landscapes so quickly in the past couple of years, now more than ever, it is so important to become fully present. You know, I'm reminded of of when my kids were little And I remember one day, Jacob in particular, when we moved over here to Australia from New Zealand and the ants over here are the size of horses, like they're (laughs) massive, you can see their eyes and and they're everything. But I remember him going, mom, look at these ants. And we actually got down on all fours carefully because these things hurt, we discovered, but we followed these ant trails and we must have done that for an hour and I've never forgotten it where I was so fully engaged with his delight and wonder of how these ants, horses, work together. But, you know, like having children or being around children is a beautiful way to bring us into the now too, isn't it? Would you say that's what Gracie has given you the most? Yeah, I think the unraveling of my life as it were <laughs> and what it is now, she was the catalyst. Yeah. I yeah, the children just, just they're everything. She's she's absolutely brings me into the present moment and she makes me accountable. I remember when she was about 3, she said something to me about being on my phone and ever since I have been so conscious of it and yeah, they really do. And she's got all these rules, no technology at the table. <laughs> and for her birthday, she she said, okay, no one's allowed to use their phones for the whole day. 
um, no one's allowed to be on technology and it was the beach and this and that. And she didn't ask for gifts. She just wanted um, us to be present to her. So I think, yeah, they, children, they're amazing. They, they know, they know what they need. They know what lights them up. And we forget because there's been so much conditioning that's happened, whether it's through school or media or not to make anyone else wrong or, or school or the media wrong, but it's just the way things are. Um, you know, we forget and children are just such a beautiful reminder of that. And this is a reminder for us as parents and adults, aunties, uncles, grandparents, everybody that is around children to be very present to that and to realize all they want is your happiness and presence. Just like probably that's what we want is their happiness and presence. But that means being disciplined. And that means being accountable to our own behaviors. And just because we're adults or teachers or parents or whatever authoritarian figure doesn't mean to say we can get away with anything. We used to have a rule in the house too that um, we had signs speak softly all around the house. And that meant because um, one of my therapists had said, the minute you yell, it's actually a form of violence. And it really struck a chord with me, you know, that whole thing around, wow. And so when you're screaming, breakfast is ready or something like that, <laughs> it is a form of violence. And my kids would come out and point to the sign and go, excuse us. And they really kept me accountable just in the same way we could be accountable. And people would walk into our house going, oh, speak softly. And I go, yes, this is a nice quiet zone. And <laughs> of course, we'd laugh. you can laugh really loudly, but, you know, it was really about that discipline of being mindful about what you're going to speak and then how well or not well we speak. Yeah. Do you think then, coming into the close of this, looking at your life, looking back on your 40-odd years and noticing the, the transitions between the corporate world and a more creative world, and realizing there's a place for both, looking at you now towards the next 40, maybe even 80 years of your life, as you look forward, what is the greatest gifts that you are taking forward with you from this moment on? Greatest gifts, definitely showing up authentically and being in service to others to pay forward whatever it is that I've learned. And so I know coming into my 50s, 60s, 70s, there'll be even more depth that will come with my learning because some of my best girlfriends are in their fifties and sixties. And, you know, I listen with open ears to the things that they have to share with me. Cause I know that they've, they're ahead in the game in terms of what they've experienced and, and the, the layers, the deep layers that have come with, with those extra years of wisdom. So I really look forward to, I guess as a woman, those deeper layers exposing themselves, those parts, those those other parts of me that will come up for healing, you know, that, that will happen as well. There's so many layers, deep layers to us. And just paying that forward and being part of a community but still being really creative because that's important to me too. I've realised that um, my happiness definitely moves in tandem with being a creative being. Yeah. Such wise words, my friend. If people wanted to follow you or be a part of your conscious initiatives or know more about Bod Food, could you give us your details as to where we can get in touch with you, beautiful? Yeah, sure. So um, the two email addresses are hello at bodfood.com or hello at consciousinitiative.com.au. And we have our websites www bodfood.com and www.consciousinitiative.com.au and um, yeah we're making some of our workshops online in case people aren't local to the Sunshine Coast and um, yeah we look forward to anyone that wants to connect. I'm assuming too that's on the socials? Yes it is yes so we're on um, Facebook and Instagram for, for both businesses. Beautiful, under the same names, Bod Food and Con Conscious Initiatives, yeah? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well done. Sweetheart, I love to ask my guests the final question. A favourite quote, if you've got a message to our beautiful listener and then finishing with a favourite quote, we would love to hear your advice. Yes, one from Pablo Picasso. The chief enemy of creativity is good sense. 
get rid of that good sense. It's not serving you. <laughs> Throw caution to the wind and be creative. Oh, I love it. And I think you've really inspired us to never let go of that little kid within us, the, the, the kid that wants to paint all over the place, the kid that wants to put finger marks on everything, the kid that actually just wants to dance in puddles and get mucky and dirty. I think that's what I've taken away from today's podcast is just to, to be playful, to be creative and playful. And that helps to balance out the serious and the logistical and the mathematical side of us. But it's important to be all things, right? Yeah, that's right. And remembering that that saying also, that quote makes me think that even if you've been predominantly living in that conscious part of your, your mind, remembering that's not bad or wrong, it's just it's there to keep you safe. It thinks it's keep you, keeping you safe by having you on default, creating the same, same thing over and over and over. So for anyone that might be listening, going, oh, no, I've, you know, nothing's wrong, broken, needs to be fixed, but there's this other part of us that exists that's waiting to be explored. Oh, and waiting with wide open loving arms indeed and that is the power of the work that you do and why so many of us just love helping to be, people to create their own ripple effects so Linda thank you so much for being an inspiration to me to being someone on the coast here who I've always looked up to and revered and for being my farmer's markets buddy when I see you there and <laughs> running into you at Myers and David Jones over Christmas like there's so many moments that's just always such a delight to see your smiling face so thank you so much for being on the self-love podcast thank you likewise kim absolutely appreciate you and big fangirl over here so i absolutely adore you thanks for listening to the self-love podcast be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit kim and her team at 28.com that's the word 20 and the number 8.com take good care This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.